Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, January 22nd, 2018. Today, we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 2, and we're at page 18, the third paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Anita L., for the 12 Traditions, Amanda S., reading the text are Craig F., Allison L., and Lisa B., the reference number for Sunday, January 21st, 2018, is 10,941. That's 10941. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us. And the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Have a beautiful day, everyone. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. I will now ask Amanda S. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. May I be heard? Yes. Okay. Good morning. This is Amanda S., recovered compulsive overeater from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The 12 Traditions. One, 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Amanda. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 18, the third paragraph. I will ask Craig F. to begin reading, and he's gonna read through three paragraphs, and we will comment on all three. This is Craig F., recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Highly competent psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss a situation without reserve. Strangely enough, wives, parents, and intimate friends usually find us even more unapproachable than do the psychiatrist and the doctor. But the ex-problem drinker who has found the solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. But the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty, that he obviously knows what he's talking about, 
that his whole department sh- shouts at the new spro- prospect that he is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing, whatever, except the sincere desire to be helpful, that there are no, do- no fees to pay, no access to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are the conditions we have found most effective. After such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. Um, I, I pick up two themes in here. Um, one of them is how difficult it is when we're still in the disease, to be honest. Uh, you know, we, we uh, I, I answered a question the first time I, when I first came in program, they gave us what was called the Westminster questions to do the first three steps. And one of the questions that haunted me was to talk about how it was impossible to be honest and maintain an addiction. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, uh, that rankled me because I always thought I had a lot of honesty. I had a lot of cash register honesty. But the truth was, when it came to true honesty, honesty about myself, honesty about my uh, motives, honesty about why I, uh, uh, I I had no I I had no honesty I had no integrity I'd gone through a I was going through a divorce and and uh, was a minor child still and the the part of the court requirement was that we go to counseling and so we did individual counseling since we couldn't be in the same room <laughs> with one another peacefully uh, and uh, I went to this counselor and. He talked to me for an hour, and he said, uh, and when I was done, he said, uh, I want you to do something for me. He said, I want you to go to Overeaters Anonymous. And he said, after you've been going for about a year and you're ready to be honest with me, uh, come back and see me. And uh, uh, he, he, he was 20 years sober in AA, and he he, he saw, he, he knew, he knew I was lying, and, and, and he knew better than I did. What, what that I wasn't being honest with myself or with him, and and I, I'm sure that for a psychiatrist that's frustrating. He was there to help me, he, 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 and and yet I was trying to create a space where I could continue to behave the way I wanted to behave, and uh, not uh, give it up. And then the other part of this is identification. You know, when we go and talk to another uh, compulsive overeater. Um, we we give them something to identify with. Uh, they they can see the same insanity. A lot of us in, in, in the disease we think that nobody else surely thinks like I do. You know, who else sneaks food? Who who else hides food? Who else does the kinds of crazy things that I do? Who else thinks about food the way I think? Because no, nobody talks about it. So when we go in recovery and we talk to people and they can identify with us. They uh, they take up their bed and walk again. They come they come back uh, they come with us to uh, to the state of recovery, and uh, I think that uh, uh, for me there was no other way. You know, coming in and listening to uh, to the first speaker that I really listened to and hearing her talk about uh, filling the hole in her soul. You know, and the things she tried to fill it with, and and it was such a refreshing thing to see somebody else that uh, knew what what uh, I, I was going through, that felt what I felt, that uh, understood that uh, I could use Diet Coke in a in a uh, addictive Hi. manner. And uh, to be able to identify with that and 
uh, was wonderful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Okay, now um, I'm going to open it up, and we give two opportunities uh, to make a list of who can share. And, and there's, there's about 15 people who can share every day, and there's hundreds of people on this line. So um, who would like to share on the Loretta P. Nancy H. Loretta P. Barbara E. Barbara. Barbara E. Lisa B. Lisa B. Okay, anybody else? Vasa O. Vasa O. And Larry. Sarah W. And Larry K. Great. Thank you so much. Okay, I have Dorita P., Nancy H., Barbara B., I mean Barbara E., I'm sorry, Vasa O., no, Lisa B., Vasa O., Sarah W., and Larry K. Sorry, I'm being dyslexic this morning. Okay, go ahead, Dorita P. Thank you. Thank you, uh, moderator. I'm sorry I didn't get your name. I came on a little late. Uh, my name is Dorita P. from Cleveland, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm kind of, uh, well, I'm feeling a lot of feelings today, but it's okay. And I'm just grateful that I have a program to deal with them. Uh, but, yeah, so it's just amazing to me. Uh, with the reading, it's just amazing to me how we can win each other's confidence in, in, in a short period. Um, you know, I have uh, sponsors and different people who I talk to who say, um, you know, I've been seeing a therapist for 20 years, 30 years, and uh, I had this one lady in particular, she said she had been seeing a therapist for like 20 years, and we talked for, I don't know, say an hour, and she told me uh, two or three things that she had not uh uh, talking to, she had not talked to her therapist about, it, and they were like two big things. Like I think she was raped, and uh, she had these feelings about her child. Like she really didn't want her child. I mean, and it was just really amazing to me because um, those are the things that we eat over. And you know, they say it in AA, they say we're as sick as a, as we're as sick as our secrets. And that is so true. So today, I try to be honest and a little more than cash register honest, like Craig said. Um, but I'm just really grateful for this program, you know. Uh, like I said, I'm feeling some feelings today. and um, But I'm grateful that I'm feeling them. I'm not eating, so that's why I'm feeling them. You know, I can eat and not feel and have to worry about them later, but I choose to worry about them now and, and, and deal with them now and talk about them. And, and then I know I'll get relief. In fact, I did a lot of writing this morning, and I got a lot of relief from that. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Dorita. Nancy H., you're up, followed by Barbara E. Nancy H., star one to unmute. Um, this is Nancy H. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Okay, thank you, Katie. Um, this is Nancy H., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Um, I can relate to the part that talks about another addict can um, tell you, you know, can relate to you. You can relate to another addict more than you can to other people. And because I remember my first OA meeting, 
I had no idea what the program was about, but the woman that was the speaker said, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a compulsive overeater, and I can't control my food. And she started describing this, and she said, I have a, a disease. And I started to cry because all I could think of is, this isn't my fault, you know. So that was the first thing I remember about another compulsive overeater. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, to get a counselor and a spiritual advisor who know this disease. And um, I one day I was at the counselor's office, and he said, Something I wouldn't when I was eating. He said something to the effect of, "You're going to go to a meeting every day for 90 days." And I said, "I knew he had some program." And I said, "There's no way I can do that because I don't drive at night." And he said, "Do you want to live or do you want to die?" And that's what you know. One of the things that struck me in order to get abstinent. Um, the other thing was my pastor. When I talked about the disease, he could he just kept adding things that I knew made me realize he was a psychologist and I didn't know it. And he was also. Uh, very familiar with our program. So rather than listen to, you know, like people in my life who used to just call me, you know, whatever they called me and say, you know, you're you're a weak-willed glutton, you can't stop. I didn't listen to those people. I listened to the people who I know could understand. And lastly, um, I talked to another uh, food addict or compulsive overeater this morning, and she's into the food again. And she had, she said, I'm so scared, Nancy. And I was able to say, I know that pain at 90 days ago. That's how I was feeling. I thought I didn't have another recovery coming, and now I do. So I'm very grateful for today, and I'm grateful that I've stayed abstinent even through um, recovering from surgery. And I wanted to say thank you to everyone on this line, and thank you, Katie, for your service. With that, I pass. Thank you, Nancy. Okay, Barbara E., you're up, followed by Lisa B. Thank you so much. This is indeed Barbara E. from New Jersey, and I purposely put the cotton in my mouth and took it out of my ears for the last couple of days, but today I put the cotton, removed the cotton from my mouth and from my ears because I really wanted to go into the fact that an ex-problem eater can do and has done for me what highly skilled professionals were not able to do. They broke through to me, and they broke my barriers of resistance. So the door was open just to crack. But I have to constantly remember to remove my, to improve my conscious contact with God. I just came back from a wonderful OA retreat in New Jersey, in Bloomingdale, not the store, the town, And I heard so much recovery, big book, relapse, remorse from a whole group of people. And I spoke to people sincerely from my heart. I said, I did not want to be like that king of Ephra in Greek mythology, condemned to pushing the boulder up the hill forever and ever. And then I hope this isn't going to shock people. But I said that playing with abstinence, binging and stopping and binging and stopping is like playing leapfrog with a unicorn. Sooner or later, you're going to get screwed. And I can't afford to. I know I have another relapse in me, but I don't think at my age I have another recovery. So I treat my recovery like fine glass. If I ping it, it might not break, 
But the next time I ping it, it could shatter in front of me. And I don't want to do that. So I have to keep recovered one day at a time, praying to God, meditating so I can hear the answer, and doing service. It was a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I had the honor and pleasure of rooming with another Vision for You person. We've never met, but we hit it off like two peas in a pod, like peanut butter and jelly. We know what we're talking about. Uh, No preaching, no lectures, just hope. And this meeting, drilling down, as someone says, on the big book, the steps, that reinforcing that it is not a tech, it is not literature, it's a text, and there is a solution, but I must follow it every single day and live it and work it and share it with others, and that is a great honor for me, and I'm so thrilled to be back with you all. We know what we're talking about. Time. Oh, thank you. We've been there. Have a great day. Thank you, Barbara. Okay, Lisa B., you're up, followed by Vasa O. Good morning. This is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for your service, Katie, and I'm very grateful to be on this line. So um, I wanted to share on the whole essence of this reading and how I relate to it. When it has the italicized writing, but the ex-problem drinker, Who has found this solution? Right there, there's just so much there. What is the solution? Learning about the allergy of the body and the mental twist. And that this is an illness that will never go away. I will never be without this illness. But it is possible to have complete recovery. But it's contingent on my spiritual um, connection and really living in these 12 steps. But that physical allergy was vital for me to learn about entire abstinences Dr. Silkworth outlines it in his letters and the doctor's opinion. And the other thing um, that jumps out for me is working with a recovered compulsive overeater, um, my sponsor who I met on this line, you know, what I saw in her is that she believed in herself, but still more. She believed in the power, which she saw pull her and many others from the depths. And that's, that's from the doctor's opinion, that, that writing. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics from the gates of death. And, you know, the other thing that this book teaches me is that it's vital that I do carry this message, that I must, I must do that. But I need to know that it's not about me getting these people well. It's just transmitting this message. And that in working with others, it tells me, ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so, it's really as simple as that. Are you willing to get entirely abstinent and stop playing around with 90% abstinence, living in that gray area? You know, learning what entire abstinence really means with a recovered person and some of the special editions that talk about entire abstinence. And then getting active right away into these steps. I think that's what I wanted to share on this reading, and it doesn't have to take forever and a long time, and I don't have to keep going back out. I can recover and stay recovered as long as I know that this disease doesn't go away, that I need to live in the steps every day. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, Vasa O, you're up, followed by Sarah W. Thank you. Thank you, Katie, for your service. 
and I'm vast a grateful recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm grateful to be at this meeting. It's amazing. I'm just, you know, I've been coming to this meeting for about four years, and I've gone to many, many, many meetings before, and they are all good, but this is the best meeting that I've ever come, and I'm just so, so grateful um, that the person that approached me many, many, many years ago, uh, she got she she won my confidence within just a few minutes because she told me her story, which I knew we were friends. She was strong with the food, and she told me about the solution. I mean, I never heard about any of this stuff from doctors or Weight Watchers or diet workshops. I never heard this. You know, this was a, a something new that I heard in my life, and it gave me so much hope. And then when I came to my first OA meeting, I was given the pamphlet, the questionnaire to see if I was a compulsive overeater. And for the first time, I passed them all. I got A. The first time I got 100 in my life, probably even going through school. And, you know, I had really, you know, I was a little embarrassed to admit, you know, with the food addiction, with what I was doing, but I was just looking for the solution, you know, and I remember raising my hand at the beginning. I just raised my hand only a little bit, you know. But gradually I started raising my hand all the way up there. Yes, I am one of you, and I'm so grateful to be one of you. And, uh, again, that, you know, that has been, um, this is a textbook, whatever you call it. It works. And then, as I said many times in the past, and, you know, I did learn about the allergy. I had no clue about the allergy. I didn't know anything about the the mental twist and the mental obsession. I've learned it all here. And then my sponsor said, you know, as we work the 12 steps, one step at a time, as they laid out, you know, then we got to help others to give it away that has been given to us so freely from this program and a higher power which I call God, and I know I was led by God, you know, before I came to Overeaters Anonymous, because even before this person came in my life to tell me about the program, I remember reaching out to God or whoever that was. I said, please, whoever you were out there, please help me. I was just so overwhelmed with the food and life, and not too long after that, that I was brought in the program. God put this person in my life. I call her an angel, whatever you want to call her. She, you know, I'm just so grateful that, and, and then I just took off. Since then she said, here's the big book, get your abstinence, and work the 12 steps. Thank you for letting me share that pass. Thank you, Vasa. Okay, Sarah W., you're up, followed by Larry K. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for your service. Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um... I love the reading today. Um, I'd like to focus in on um, he has no attitude holier than thou, nothing, whatever, except the sincere desire to be helpful. And, um, you know, when I came in um, in 95, I remember there was a a woman there um, that uh, really looked happy and that really seemed um, content with her life. And she had released 100 pounds, and she really knew the big book. And she took me through in a a very gentle, loving way. 
And one of the things that struck me this morning is the idea of love and tolerance is our code, no matter what. And my sponsor says that we are like people that take the Hippocratic Oath, that we do no harm, no matter what, that that is so important. So many of us are so wounded in so many ways, and it is such an important thing that no matter what, no matter where people are at, that we meet them there that we don't have this thought in our minds of what they should or should not be doing. All we can share is what we've done and what has worked for us. And listen, really listen as a sponsor to who they are or as a person that's trying to be helpful. I can't fix anybody. I can't save anybody. But I can surely reach out a hand and be kind. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, Larry, you're up. Hey, Katie, good morning. Uh, Larry Kay, Recovered Composable Reader from Chicago. Um, you know, it's uh, okay, so we read highly competent uh, psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss his situation without reserve. You know, I had an extraordinary way of compartmentalizing my dishonesty you know, human beings have an enormous capacity for protecting ourselves, you know, particularly emotionally. And I, I never realized the extent to which I wore these protective masks that were, you know, really intended to keep me hidden from the world. And yet the people in the world, well, they weren't fooled. See, they might not have known the specifics of my malady, but, you know, rest assured, they, they knew there was something wrong with me, see, um, because my repeated behaviors gave it away. And I didn't believe the truth would set me free. Rather, I thought the truth would imprison me and give you the power to hurt me and how wrong I was. Yes, we're, we're indeed as sick as our secrets. And once I start lying, the extent of my dishonesty, it tends to increase over time. And it's like there's an internal signaling in our brain that lying is no big deal. And it makes it easier to lie again and again and again and the, the my little lies had a way of turning into big lies and here's the thing you know our brains will stop noticing if you let it, it, it we, we become acclimated to lying just like it, we get used to putting on a band-aid you ever put on a band-aid at first you notice it but after a while we don't even realize it's on right and for me i would coming into program i would lie to my sponsor about what i ate what i intended to eat and I justified it by telling myself I had a disease or nobody's perfect or I'm only hurting myself or I'm mostly abstinent. I can justify lots of things, yet the truth would have served me better. And perhaps that explains why we build the emotional equivalent of a callus to our lying. Over time, my dishonesty is protected from feelings of shame because we develop a hard emotional callus to feeling bad about it. And eventually, as the big book says, we can no longer discern the true from the false. See, for me, my, my dishonesty actually seemed normal, yet, yet I still was stuck with this spiritual malady. And yet, you know, wrapping up, you know, the blinders that shielded us from facing the truth was also, I, it was also fitted with a spotlight that illuminated your deficiencies. So I became the judge, the jury, and the executioner, the, the height of hypocrisy. The big book reminds me, Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things 
were the essential requirements. So it's moving from a God-centered consciousness or a self-centered consciousness to a God-centered consciousness through the implementation of the steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. I'm sorry. I forgot to set my timer that time. Good job. Okay. Um, so if you're just joining us, we are um, on page 18. We read through three paragraphs, um, the highly competent psychiatrist ending at uh, on page 19, take up their beds and walk again. So who would like to share? Tina S. Tina S. Kathy K. Maggie A. Maggie Leslie A. Leslie W. Leah M. Leslie Leah M. Jeanette S. Jeanette S. Okay, this is who I have. Tina S. I thought I heard Kathy K. Maggie A. But that could have been not Kathy K. Leslie W., Leah M., and Jeanette S. We probably could take one or two more. Okay, well, let's just go with those for now. Tina asked, you're up, Chris, followed by Chris, Kathy Chris, K. Chrissy G? Yes, please. Okay, got you in there. Go ahead, Tina. Thanks, Katie, for your service. Tina asked, recovered compulsive eater anorexic in Florida. Wow, some great stuff in a couple paragraphs here. And, you know, I really could relate to everybody that shares and, you know, that's the good news. And that's why I continue to come back, you know, and one day at a time. And because I know I'm at home, but, and it tells me here, it says, but the ex problem drinker who has found this solution doesn't say a solution. It says this solution. And I love this, that it's real specific and that I'm properly armed with the facts about me, not about you. I thought I knew so much about you, but that I'm properly armed about facts, about the facts about myself, you know, so that I can share with somebody else about me so maybe they can relate. And that was my experience. Somebody came up to me and shared their experience. They didn't talk about my eating or my drinking. They talked about theirs. And I was just amazed that somebody else was doing the same thing that I was doing, you know. And then, and then the good news was they told me that they had a solution that worked for them. And that maybe if I did what they did, that it would work for me. You know, and what did I have to lose? Let me tell you, you know, I had to lose all the the um, self-hate, all the disgust, all the depression, all the stuff that I felt about myself when I was in the food. That's what I had to lose. And I was game. I'm, I'm on board. Let me just tell you, I want to play. And, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't initially because, you know, like I, you know, I talk about, you know, I came... I first heard came to treatment in 1987. My abstinence date is 1999, so there's a few years there. You know, I thought I, initially I just wanted to diet. Thank you very much. I could still do this on my own. But then when I could not, when all else failed, you know, I, I did what people told me to do, and, and I was desperate as the dying could be. And um, you know, and then you know, the, the good news for me was that I had a shot one day at a time, and I had some direction that people were giving me, and it was in black and white. You know, so I knew that there was a book written about this stuff that people over the years had recovered from. And so I was willing to do the deal. And today, one day at a time, I'm still willing. You know, I am still willing. And, and I love this meeting. And I love that I, you know, like I said, that I relate to everybody that shares. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Tina. Okay, I thought I heard Kathy Kay. Is Kathy Kay um, wanting to share this morning? If not, I think it may have been Maggie A. 
Okay, let's go with Maggie A, please. Okay. Followed by Leslie so, W. Good morning. This is Maggie A. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Now we can't hear you, Maggie. Okay, Leslie W., how about if you jump in and then we'll go back to Maggie A. She made something yep, happen. I can jump in. Thank you, Katie. Good morning. Um, this is Leslie W., recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. Oh, I'm so happy to uh, be able to <clears throat> to talk this morning. I lost my voice for a couple of weeks, so it's nice to be on the line again. Um, you know, I I wanted to share about the no fees to pay, no access to grind, no people to please. Um, those conditions that I found when I first walked into the rooms of OA, um, I think were for me the <clears throat> the reason that I kept one of the reasons, the biggest reasons that I kept coming back to OA again and again and again, even though the first few years that I was in the rooms of, of, of Readers Anonymous, um, I, I really couldn't, I really couldn't get abstinent and stay abstinent. Um, I think the beginning of my abstinence was um, no eating cake. <laughs> and that was my abstinence. Um, I, I remember though pulling up into that parking lot and, and, and I could breathe. When I was about to walk into the rooms of an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, um, I could pull in and just breathe a sigh of relief because, you see, that that was the first place that I had ever been where I felt um, like no one expected anything of me. I didn't have to be something that somebody else wanted me to be. I didn't have to please anyone. I didn't have to deal with the possibility that I was um, the very real possibility that 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 I I just I just couldn't I just couldn't hack it, you know. Um, I felt accepted, I felt loved, and I felt such a huge sense of relief to be in a room for one hour and just cry. And just let my emotions uh, run free. Because, see, before then, I never felt like I could express my emotions. Um, there was, there was just, just not a safe place for me to do that. And so uh, today, I am, I am so incredibly grateful that these rooms exist, whether they're face-to-face or on the phone, um, where we can just be real and authentic and not put on any airs where we can find true humility and true honesty um, and face the facts about ourselves and our disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leslie W. Okay, Maggie A, are you back? Maggie A, star one to unmute. Okay, there you are. I'm so sorry. I had some technical difficulty with the unmuting. <clears throat> okay. Anyway, this, yeah. <laughs> but I'm here. This is Maggie A, uh, recovered in Western New York. And um, professional, medical professionals, and particularly family, 
um, you know, because I was in a family where I was the only compulsive overeater. None of them could convince me or even get me to talk about this. I mean, they worried about me and they suggested things. But how could I share with them when I didn't even know myself what was going on with me? I just thought that I was fat because there was something morally or there was some weakness in me and that that I just wasn't like my sisters who were all thin. And I I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why I did what I did with food. So how could I share it with, with anybody else? I felt so demoralized, so ashamed, so full of guilt about it. That's all I had. And the solution to all of that was just to eat more, to eat more and to get bigger. And when I came into the rooms, the very first meeting I went to, and I think it was an act of God because in a moment of overeating and trying to purge, um, the thought came to me to call Overeaters Anonymous. I have no idea why. I had never even considered that before. But I did that time, and I went to a meeting the very next night, and I heard it was a speaker meeting, and the woman shared how she had been so overweight, she was morbidly obese, went to the hospital, and on her chart, her diagnosis was morbid obesity. And she talked about what happened to her and how difficult that was and how she almost died. And she came out of the hospital and was able to not eat for a while, but she said it didn't take long before she started to eat again, even knowing and having seen that diagnosis on her chart. And when she said that, it was like, oh, my God, that's it. That's me. That's me. And when I heard people talk about eating food that had fallen on the floor or that had gone in the garbage or that was frozen or burned or spoiled, it's like, I did that too. And I heard it. And I heard about the steps and about finding a higher power. And I thought, well, I've got to do what these people do. And so that's what I did. And I I got some abstinence. I lost a bunch of weight. But in the rooms for 14 years, I struggled in and out and in and out of relapse. And then I heard this meeting. And I thought, oh, my God, there it is. It was there it was again. You know, I heard people who in whom the problem had been solved, who had found a solution, who were working it, and who saw relief and recovery. And it was I could not resist it. It was irresistible. And it was at a point last year where I felt there was no more hope for me. I had gone too far. And in these recovered people who shared their story was the story of hope and recovery. Time. And so I encourage everybody to listen and do it. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much for letting me share. Thank you, Maggie. Okay, Leah M., you're up, followed by Jeanette S. Thank you very much. Uh, You know, reading these paragraphs today, it reminds me of an evening, a Friday night in March in 1982, when I found my way to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting. I was 19 years of age. Uh, The disease had wrapped its talons around my neck um, already, uh, you know, for almost two complete decades. Uh, And... uh, 
you know, the noose was only getting tighter. When I entered that room, I saw 12 people. They identified themselves as compulsive overeaters. I had never heard such a thing before. Um, they spoke about their thousands of binges. They spoke that they had eaten out of the garbage. They spoke that they had eaten fro frozen food and burnt food, stolen food, lied about food. They knew what it was like to sit in their car in a dark parking lot and bring binge their brains out uh, till their eyes, eyeballs hurt. Uh, they spoke about the medical consequences of the illness. They spoke about the shame and humiliation, the exact uh, disease that I had been living. Um, people had spoken to me about my behavior. My parents spoke to me. Uh, my, a couple of bosses spoke to me. Doctors spoke to me. I've been hospitalized numerous times. Coworkers spoke to me, psychiatrists spoke to me, uh, my husband pleaded with me, friends pleaded with me, but our book tells us that frozen, you know, frothy emotional appeal uh, seldom suffices. We freeze up. We have nothing to respond in that case. Um, you know, the disease continued to uh, hold me in its grip, drag me by the roots of the hair for five more years as this disease progressed into even more uh, depths of madness and mayhem. And it wasn't until I was approached by someone in whom the problem had been solved, who cracked open this text for me, brought it to life through their own personal experience, and told me that I no longer needed to live that way anymore. Our book says we have recovered and have been given the power to help others. You know, I think about this uh, little ditty that that same individual uh, later taught me, and it goes as follows. You can't teach what you don't know, and you can't lead where you don't go. You can't be what you are not, and you can't give what you ain't got. Um, you know, every day on page 164, we read that we cannot transmit something we haven't got. What have we got? We have recovered um, from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, but this is not about personal success. This is about 12-step process that led me to an unsuspected inner resource. So this is a story about God's grace, saving me against all odds I was supposed to self-destruct, and the program of recovery brought me back to life. If it could happen to me, it could happen to anyone on this line. And with that, I pass. Thanks. KDS, star one. I'm sorry. I said, um, I'm sorry. I thought you could hear me. I said, Jeanette S is up, followed by Chrissy G. Hi, Can this you hear is me. Okay. Yes. Hi, this is Jeanette S. Uh, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, so I'm a highlighter girl, and um, <clears throat> the. Um, second and third paragraph that we read, I was told was, these are the paragraphs that describe the qualities of a sponsor. Um, and I have them highlighted in the, this is what I want color. That was back before I had it. Um, and I just, you know, this the, the stuff in italics, I've been told that back then, if it was in italics, it was extra, extra special because it cost more money to put in the italics 
letters in a book, in a, you know, a printing uh, press. Um, so this, this is, you know, to, for me to pay attention to. And these, these qualities um, go into the next paragraph also. But the first, it's that I need to be armed with facts about myself. And the steps help me to learn about myself. I continue to learn about myself. It didn't all happen in one step four. Um, it's constantly coming up and learning about myself. Um, also to have understanding. Uh, until such an understanding is reached, I mean, there has to be understanding on my part. Um, also, that I had the same difficulty. That, you know, I can only sponsor people that have the same difficulty as I have. Um, and that I know what I am talking about. You know, I have my experience to go by, my experience to share, experience, strength, and hope to share. Um, but I, and I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to me and this recovery, which was just amazing for me in very five short months. Um, and that I have a real answer. This is the real, this for me is the, the real answer. Not a real, I wish they put the in there, but anyway. <laughs> uh, and, and that I have no attitude of holier than thou. And that I'm sincere. Um, you know, that, that the purpose is my sincere desire to be helpful. And there's no fee. I'm not getting paid. And I have no axe to grind. And um, I, there's no people to please. And there's no lectures. I can't give lectures. There's nothing. I, all I can share is my experience, strength, and hope. Um, and, and that these are the conditions that have been found to be most effective. Um, and I just, you know, I'm grateful for this program. And um, I'm not quite sure what the word properly means, properly armed, as opposed to uh, what, improperly I armed? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry? Time. That wasn't me, but it is time. Thank you. Uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I guess I'm done. <laughs> Thanks. For okay. Me thank you. Sorry about that. Um, okay, Jeanette, um, thank you so much. And now we have Chrissy G. Hi, this is Chrissy G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic. And um, I had unmuted because my daughter was leaving, and I just said a little prayer that she go with God. That's what, that's what that, that noise was, so I apologize. <laughs> Um, and I wish that for all of you that you go with God today. I um, have a responsibility, and and I I take it really seriously. But it's not it's not a drudgery. It's a gift that I I I'm, I can be a healer. I I mean it's what an honor and a privilege when I get off the phone with people and I could feel that there was a shift inside them, a powerful shift just from a phone call and and to see people recover it's just it's been the greatest gift and the biggest surprise of my recovery that that would be equal equal to my own recovery and relief from the obsession equally as much joy i get from watching people recover it's it's just incredible and it keeps me it really does keep me going 
And I, you know, a lot recently it's been coming to my mind that um, we're getting through the 12 steps with like our hair is on fire because we need to help other people. And it's in the helping the other people that we're really dramatically changed and taking other people through the steps. You know, it's just, it's but a beginning when when we go through ourselves and then we go through them over and over again, but bringing them with other people, not eating and then going through the steps again and eating and going through the steps again. I just, I don't, I just feel very strongly. I got this strong feeling that that's, that's um, a dead end, you know, that getting through and helping people, you know, even, even if you're in, especially if you're in step four and five, you can bring people to the doctor's opinion. I think, um, you know, when all else fails, help with another alcoholic is what's going to save the day, save our butts. And and I believe that so strongly. And there needs to be so much balance in that because I need to be working my, my own program. I need to really have a spiritual experience. I need to have a connection with the higher power on a daily basis in order to have that full well to show people, am, 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 I, am I shouting recovery when people see me? Can they see that I'm recovered if they followed me throughout my, my life, my day? It's a tall order, you know, but only if I'm thinking that I'm doing it myself, which I'm not. You know, it's this process that releases me and gives me the opportunity to let God come in and heal me. God wants me to do this not so that I can be a good disciplined girl. He wants me to do this so I'm not all choked up with nonsense and mishigash in my head so that I can't hear him and his direction. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, we have one minute. If there's someone who would like to share for one minute. Um, Mary okay, well, I'll Nicole take P. Nicole P. I heard a Mary something before Nicole. Mary Jane C. Mary Jane C. Okay, you've got the one minute, please. Thank you. I'm Mary Jane C., compulsive overeater from New Jersey. And I had someone 12 step me into this program for whom I'll be forever grateful. She had all these qualities that are talked about in this paragraph. And I still see her on Facebook and and know that she is still fully recovered in this program for which I'm so grateful. She's a real power of example for me, which is what we need to be. And the only other thing I want to say, there are no fees to pay. When I came into this program years ago, I was a struggling actress in New York. I didn't have two nickels to rub together. And if this program didn't have no fees, I don't know where I'd be because I couldn't afford professional help. And I just want to put in a pitch for donations to this phone line because I know it must cost money to maintain the website and to have the phone line available for us all. And I'm so grateful. And once in a while I think about what it would be like if you folks weren't there anymore. And it just, it really bothers me. So that's all I have to say. I'm very grateful for you all. I wish you all a beautiful day. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone um, who shared today and also for all those who helped me to make this meeting um, go off. Anita L., Amanda S., Craig F., Allison L., and Lisa B. waiting in the wings. Um, Okay.
we will uh, thank you to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Monday, January 22nd, 2018, is 10,943. That's 10943. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Allison L. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, thank you. Happy to. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 